the actual tour featured Prince as the opening act. And this was when Prince was just starting to get known. He wasn't really a household word yet. He was just a dude. And at that point. Uh, apparently he went out at the L.A. Forum, which was the first night of the tour. And I remember because I was there, uh, he started stripping and he took his... He took his pants off and he was running around in a, in a jock strap and it was pretty incredible. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was standing with, uh, I was standing right next to uh, Bill Graham and Bill Graham goes, hey, there's only one, there's only one slot for a sex symbol on this tour and it ain't that guy, it's Mick Jagger. Radio show with Bruce Hilliard today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Today's show is brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. He's known for his 80s hits, The Breakup Song, They Don't Write Them, and Jeopardy. He's toured with the Rolling Stones, among others, and he hosted his own radio show in the San Francisco Bay Area for 18 years. His resume and backstories are the best. Please welcome Greg Kinn to the Better Each Day radio show. It's, it's good to link up with you at last. Greg, you have a radio show, I understand. Well, actually, I just stopped doing it. I've been doing the morning show. You know, first of all, doing the morning show is brutal. I don't know... Uh, depends on, I guess, where you are, but we, I was in the Bay Area, so I had to get up every morning at 3.30 and drive to San Francisco uh, to be on the air by 4, so it was pretty brutal. And I did that for 18 years, and while I was doing that, I mean, look, I love talking to people, and I love my uh, fans in the morning. You know, at the same time, I didn't go on the uh, the road for 18 years. People forgot who I was. I was going to ask you know, how you could do that, of, yeah. Yeah, we had a bunch of hit records back in the 80s. Uh, but right after that, I went on the radio, kind of like I dropped out of sight. Uh, of course, I was on every morning in San Francisco, but that really didn't make a difference. Uh, now I'm back on the road again. And I'm, let me tell you, it is a lot of fun. I don't know why. I used to hate going on the road. Now I love it. It's like <laughs> summer camp. Yeah. Well, you stay 3.30 a.m. That's that's bedtime normally if you're out playing. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, I got to tell you, and I have great uh, memories of Seattle. You know, we played, we opened for the Stones. Oh, really? The Seattle Kingdom. When was that? Back 84, 5, 6, maybe? Yeah. Cool. And, of course, they've now torn the kingdom down, but I remember the feeling when we walked out, because it was, you know, it was an enclosed dome. So yeah. when you walked out, I mean, we were opening for the Rolling Stones, yeah. and there were 80,000 people there per show. We did a couple of shows. Let me tell you, you you think you know what uh, what that what's that 
what it's like, but what, until you do it, yeah. until you look down the uh, the barrel at 80,000 people, <laughs> uh, you really don't have any idea what it's like. Yeah. I, I learned a lot from watching the Stones because, you know, I, would do, I got to talk to, uh, to the Stones backstage a lot. And, uh, and Charlie Watts was telling me, hey, just play it like it's a little club. I go, hey, man, it's a little bit larger than a little club, Charlie. <laughs> I mean, it's 80,000 people. goes, no, no, just close your eyes, pretend it's a little club, and go out and play it like that. So I, I couldn't do that the first show. Uh, I, was, I was, like, way too nervous. But it did work after a while, and I kind of... I, I understand what he was talking about. You got to stop. You know, you you play when you're in front of eighty thousand people. You overplay. You jump around too much. You do a little bit. Of, you're working too hard. What you got to do is just relax and let it come naturally. And uh, yeah, well, I'll never forget that. But there's a bunch of uh, memories that I got from Seattle. What was the name of the? Uh, was it that wasn't. It was the lands and the the uh, hotel with with where you could uh, oh the Edgewater fish for sharks out your window. Yeah. What what was the Edgewater? The Edgewater. Oh my God! Yeah, that's the, where all the big guys uh, stay. Unspeakable <laughs> craziness that went on in the Edgewater. And I remember when we played there it was a long time after Led Zeppelin played there. Oh, yeah. But the vibe was still incredible. I mean, it was pretty... Ma- I, and I also remember a uh, there was an old theater downtown, and I think it was an old movie theater that they had refurbished, and they were having uh, rock and roll shows in. I can't remember the name of that place, too, but it was fabulous. Back in the olden days, and people... I, I think they, they forget this, but, you know, back in the day, we would go on the road, and every time we'd go to a new city, whether it was Seattle or Cleveland or uh, didn't matter where it was, we'd always do the morning show. So you'd have to get up early and go down to the station. But, of course, when you did the morning show, you ingratiated yourself to the station because they always wanted people to come in there and, and entertain in the morning, you know, and like at uh, like six in the morning and uh, we had a lot of fun. And I remember doing a lot of Seattle radio, uh, AM radio, uh, just, you know, just being there. And it was, it was a big step when I finally got into doing radio in my career. Uh, It really helped me that I had all these hundreds of hours of uh, interview time uh, over the years that I just, you know, done as part of, as part of touring. But, uh, you know, I have good, I have good memories of Seattle, man. I really do. I love it up there. Great food too. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I, I, I hear different things and we're kind of known for, I guess, grunge now. That'll feed yeah, away. But, you know, I went to some grunge, uh, places, uh, where the bands all wore flannel shirts, you know, and, I liked it. I, I had a very good time. You know, we went out, we, we saw some baby bands. I, I don't even remember the names of the bands, but they were all good. And the places were packed out. You know, it's a wonderful thing when, uh, when, a bands, when bands can play locally and still have a great 
career. And, uh, you know, that's how you get from the first rung of the ladder on up is you got to go, you got to show up and you got to play and you got to be good. So it was a lot of fun. You know, we, we had to, uh, prove ourselves every night and I, I never had a problem with it. I'm sure you played thousands of hours before it happened, but how did it, how did you go about getting booked with the Rolling Stones of all bands? Oh, geez. Well, you know, I was a, uh, my band, the Greg Kin band, we were favorites of Bill Graham. Oh, okay. Bill Graham was like, kind of like a dad to me. You know, he was really a nice guy and he helped me all the time. Like he'd call me up uh, if, uh, uh, hey, I remember getting a call from Bill Graham in the, in the afternoon saying, hey, cheap trip can't, uh, you know, Robin Zander's got, laryngitis he can't make the gig could you guys come over here and sub for cheap trick and i said of course we could what time you need us to get there <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we ran over there and i played it a whole bunch of times so we had a, a reputation with uh, bill graham as people that could show up and play and and do a professional job so the actual tour i don't remember what year this was but the actual tour featured Prince as the opening act. And this was when Prince was just starting to get known. He wasn't really a household word yet. He was just a duke. And at that point, uh, yeah. apparently he went out at the LA forum, which was the first night of the tour. And I remember cause I was there. Uh, he started stripping and he took his, <laughs> he took his pants off and he was running around in a, in a jock strap. And it was pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember I was standing with, uh, I was standing right next to uh, Bill Graham, and Bill Graham goes, "Hey, there's only one, there's only one slot for a sex symbol on this tour, and it ain't that guy. It's Mick Jagger." <laughs> So we they fired, and I remember when he did this, he fired, and they had a, maybe thirty or forty dates booked, fired the entire. Uh, the entire tour just blew them off. And that's how we picked up. And we started doing those dates. No way. Because, and, and I remember when Bill Graham was like, Bill. Yeah. He said, look, you got to tell me no matter what happens, you're not going to take your pants off. I said, <laughs> Bill, I've never taken my pants off ever on stage. So don't, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> that's so we went down. You know, I had a great time. I remember, uh, meeting, you know, this was an amazing thing. I got to meet every, my, my mother loved Bill Graham and she always used to say, go and say after every Bill Graham gig, go thank that nice Bill Graham. So I go out looking for him and, and I say, Hey Bill, thanks for the gig. God bless you. I really had a great time. He says, come with me, come with me. And he goes, we go through all these corridors and down all these, passageways into the inner sanctum of the stones themselves. Dun, dun, dun. And there I was sitting on a couch with Charlie Watts and Mick Jagger and uh, Jerry Hall. And wow, it was in unbelievable. Bill Wyman was there wow. and Keith and uh, they were all puffing away. This was back in the days when I was a smoker. We yeah. all were smokers back in those days. 
and and I'm talking to Mick Jagger on the couch, and he's puffing away on. And I, you know, I needed, I could smell the cigarettes. So I I said, uh, "Hey, Mick, is it okay if I bum a cigarette from you?" <laughs> and he says, "Here, man, have the whole pack." <laughs> and he gives me the whole pack. It was a pack of Marlboros, pack of Hardbird, hard hard uh, box. And he gives me the, and I started, I smoked a couple and, uh, I went back into my dressing room. My guys could, I, we heard you got to meet the stones. You scumbag. How could you do that without us? We, you know, you are your brothers. We love you. And you, you didn't even think of us. And I go, well, it happened pretty quick, man. I, I don't know what, but I'll tell you right now. I said, I got the sacred Mick Jagger cigarettes right here in my pocket. And I whipped them out. And my guys were like, ooh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. the Mick Jagger sacred cigarettes. So they all started, they all fired them up, right? They're smoking them like their joints going, oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, I, at the end of that tour, uh, my, my guitar player, Gary Phillips, had a little shrine in, in his apartment and he had a set list from Keith Richards. He had the pack of, ma of cigarettes from Mick Jagger and he had a pick from, uh, from one of the other stones. Right. Hmm. And he had the little, this little shrine on his, uh, you know, on his mantle. And we go out on the road. I, I think we went out with Journey because we went out for a long time, maybe six months with Journey all over the country. And we get home and he says, where's the, he's talking to his guy that was sit, house sitting, house sitting his, uh, his pad. And he goes, well, where's the, where's the Mick Jagger cigarettes? And the guy goes, well, what do you mean those, that uh, pack of Marlboros that was laying out? He says, yeah. He goes, well, I smoked them, man. <laughs> <laughs> I said, guys like you, how could you smoke Mick Jagger cigarettes? That was part of the shrine. <laughs> oh, uh, he, was, he was freaked. Yeah, I guess. So you're now currently playing with two guys that I've had on this show, Robert Berry and David Lauser. You know, those two guys, first of all, let me say uh, Robert Berry is one of the best musicians I've ever known. I hear and that, that all the time. that guy plays every instrument in the band. And well. Very well. And he'll, you know, I, uh, that's one of the reasons making that last record was so easy was that I would go over to Campbell, California, where he's got his studio and we would just hang in there all day. You know, like I'd come in there in the morning around maybe 11 o'clock in the morning and we'd mess around with song ideas. And by two or three in the afternoon, we'd have a finished song. It was like that all day long. Lauser was the same, uh, the same thing because, you know, Lauser's one of those old style drummers like Keith Moon, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He was a pounder and that was back, you know, back in the eighties, I think drummers were a lot harder hitting than they are now. Um, I remember, you know, Dave was like one of the, he, he was savage when he hit those drums. <laughs> I mean, it was like, my God, I, I, I'm shocked that he doesn't destroy the, the drum set every gig. <laughs> Robert was, um, we just were playing. We just, uh, played last weekend. Uh, we did a night in Las Vegas, which was great. And then we did a night in Monterey, which was great. And, you know, Lousy was there. 
And uh, we didn't have a chance to do a sound check in Vegas because we were running late. Uh, he just walks up to his drums, makes a few adjustments, walks on, does the entire show flawlessly. It just nails every single drum, yeah. drum part. And then when it was over, we go back to the hotel and it was like, you know, I was, I was completely wrung out. Uh, and he was like, Hey man, I can play another gig right now. No problem. <laughs> Years with Sammy Hagar. He was a fun interview. Oh, yeah. He had a bunch of smoking weed type stories and, and he was kept saying, Oh like, yeah. You're going to want to edit me. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was one of our, uh, that was one of our hobbies when we were on the road, especially back in the eighties, mm. a good drug for being on the road because you had to go out, play your butt off. And then go back to the hotel and then, you know, watch Gilligan's Island. <laughs> you know I mean? It was like you had to wind down and it was the perfect drug to wind down with. Yeah. Well, he kept saying, you're going to want to edit this. And, and he said, yeah, back then, uh, whatever, teenagers, he said, yeah, Sam, he calls yeah. him. He says he, he was in the, like, outer space shit. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the, amazing, the amazing thing. Uh, he's like, you know, he was, he was a drummer's drummer and just to be part of the Cabo Wabo crew. I remember going down there right before I met him. And, uh, you know, I was, I was like, who's this guy? Who is this guy? He's playing this, playing these drums. It was unbelievable. Um, uh, he was one of the hardest hitting drummers. And that was from the era of Keith Moon and John Bonham. Yeah. When, back when guys really hit the drums hard. That's cool stuff. I like what he does, too. I, I went back and listened to early on stuff. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Drummer's drummer. And your son plays with yeah, him as well. A, yeah, he's the, uh, it's amazing. You know, my son... Rye is the lead guitar player in a Greg Kin band, and he's been like that, I guess, for 10 years now. Uh, he started when he was like a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems like everybody has a son who's a musician. You know, even Robert's got a son who's a musician. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's believable, actually. Yeah, it kind of, I don't know, it goes beyond DNA. I think if you grow up in a family where everybody's playing music, naturally you're going to join in. Yeah, I remember when I first came to California back in 1971. I mean, that's a long time ago. Uh, I didn't have any money and I didn't have any job. I didn't have nothing. And I had to make, you know, and I, I played on the street. I played on Telegraph Avenue every day at noon. I'd be out there on the street busking, you know, the the familiar form of busking where you're playing, you know, outside with your case. Open. And I used to go and play all day long and make like maybe 30, 40 bucks, um, you know, playing in the street and to be, and be, you know, I, you, in those days you could live on 30 or 40 bucks yeah, a yeah. day. It was pretty cool. Uh, and that's how I, you know, that's how I started. I was playing in the street and one day, a guy walks up to me, and his name was Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm owned a place called the Long Branch Saloon in Berkeley, California. And he goes, man, it's too bad you don't have a, uh, a band, because I really need a band this weekend to open for you know some other bands. 
And I, I lied to the guy. Go, oh, yeah, I got a band. Oh, yeah, man, we're really good. We are super dude. And the guy goes, well, can you be back at uh, our club at 7 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock on Friday night and play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? I said, sure, no problem. So I put together a band, and that was like two or three days into the week. So we had maybe two or three days to put the entire thing together. I put the band together in three days, and that band stayed together for 18 years and made 18 albums. No way. The original guys? Yeah, unbelievable. And that was, you know, Larry Lynch and Dave Carpenter and all the original guys. Yeah, I look back on those days, Bruce. (laughs) Wow. And I look, I mean, like, first of all, there's only two guys left standing, me and the drummer, Larry Lynch. Larry Lynch was a great drummer, but he only drank milk. He went to bed early. He never took drugs. He never drank. He was a straight arrow. And now here it is like what? 40 years later, everybody in the band is, is dead except for me and Larry. And it, it blows my mind. And actually I got a gig coming up uh, in a couple of weeks where Larry's going to rejoin the band uh, just for one night. And he's going to replace uh, Lowser. So, it, and it's going to be like, uh, kind of like going back to uh, 20 years ago or make that 40 years ago. It's going to be, I'm really looking forward to playing with Larry again. That's so cool. Hey, you had a guitar before the Beatles were on Sullivan. I was doing my, my reading here. What kind of stuff were you playing? Yeah. Were you playing Elvis or Ventures or what were you doing? Uh, oh, no. You know what? I had my, my cousins were a couple of years older than me and they were into folk music oh. and they had, I remember we'd go over there for Christmas, you know, we'd hang out and, uh, they had like the Kingston trio albums yeah. and Pete Seeger and Peter, Paul and Mary. And I fell in love with the folk music. And I, then I realized that there was only three chords and 99% of these songs. Yeah. So I started learning, uh, learn I could play like Tom Dooley, you know, stuff with two or three chords, right? Mm -hmm. And then one day I'm watching the the Ed Sullivan show and here comes the Beatles. I remember how huge it was in my life. Uh, There was so much hype about the Beatles coming over. When I saw him on on the Ed Sullivan show, I I told my father, that's what I'm going to do, Dad. Yeah. And he, my, my dad goes, you're not going to do that. Forget that. <laughs> they look like girls. Every, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and then here, I, I, you know, I actually did it, <laughs> you know, and I had a great, I had a great career. I look back on it and I go, geez, if it wasn't for the Beatles, I may have never been here. <laughs> what would you be doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I used to, when we first started, I had a band called The Moss. <laughs> okay. We were pretty bad, but we would do like uh we did Heart of Stone by the by the Stones mm-hmm. and uh we do, you know, Hard Days Night and Beatles songs and stuff and geez, I remember uh it was so much of a kick. I was I was a young man and every time I'd figure out a song I'd go, Hey, that's the same three chords that this other Beatles song is And every time I'd I'd go, Well, 
you know, you, you've got three chords in, you can play 90% of this stuff. Yeah. And I could. It was, like, amazing. You know, the stuff that you, you write, it's it's all radio-friendly stuff. It's amazing. I, I go through your songs, and yeah, that's that's good. That could be, you know, well, that, oh, that's wonderful there. Uh, how do you yeah. do that? Is it because you started out listening to those songs that were just catchy, and you have a tendency to go that way every time, it seems? I think it, I think it, I have a, you know, I, I think it's, it's my, uh, I, I normally go in that direction. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm a really well-known lame guitar player, by the way. <laughs> well, my son is a virtuoso guitar. I'm a three chord man. Yeah. You know, I've been playing the same three chords since like 1978 <laughs> and I could, you know, I, but somehow uh, I remember when uh, Dave Carpenter was was joining the band, and he said, "Hey, he said, I can't be in your band. I only know three chords." And I said, "Dave, that's all there is, man." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, there's a Springsteen uh, autobiography out. I don't know if you've read that. I got it on audio because it's about five million pages long. He's very wordy. Yeah, I, I I listened to that one myself. Yeah, and he's talking about the three chords, the three magic one, four, five chords. You know, and uh, yep, exactly. That was exactly it. I remember seeing Springsteen because I've always been fascinated by Bruce Springsteen, yeah. and I saw him do a uh, uh, a singer songwriter you know, guest set at the Troubadour. Oh, wow. Man, I say it must have been 71. It was before his first album. He was working on Asbury Park, you know, Greetings from Asbury Park, yeah. New Jersey. And he came in and, and did a whole set at the Troubadour. And I happened to be there. And, you know, it was just him acoustic. Wow. That was it. It was just him acoustic. Wow. And he was fabulous. I said, man, this guy's a great songwriter. So like a year goes by. And I, uh, I, I got in my head to do a cover version of For You. And this was one of the earliest of the cover versions. I don't think, I don't think, the, I think the Hollies had done Sandy and maybe the Pointer Brothers had done, uh, I mean, the Pointer Sisters had done uh, Fire. Okay. You know, but there was, it was real early in the thing. And uh, I did a version of For You which, you know, it, I love the song, right? Mm -hmm. And we started playing that live, and Springsteen saw me, my band, do For You, and he started doing my arrangement live, which was kind of like a... Oh, wow. It was like a bird's arrangement. It, it was kind of like Jim McGuinn. Yeah, Roger McGuinn. Uh, jing jingly, jangly, 12-string, okay. and well, that, so forth and I, I i did that and then he started doing my version that's flattering and he would help me go oh yeah hey this is this is great kid's version and he would do my version and i was you know <laughs> I, I my my head got to the size of a basketball i mean it, it oh, yeah. was huge and uh and then i and then later on he shows up at uh we were playing the roxy in la he shows up and he gives me another song rendezvous which which was, a, I think, an outtake from the Born to Run album. And uh, he, gives me, he gives me a cassette, and I'm trying to figure out the words. And he's not, you know, Joe, he's not known for his diction. 
let me put it that way. Bruce Springsteen is not known for his diction. Really? And there was one line in uh, Rendezvous, I swear to God, it sounds like he's saying, we desire so much more than squirrels. <laughs> okay. What is he saying? What, what is this squirrels thing? So <laughs> I didn't. I know what he's saying. I, I tried to do it like Springsteen. You had to do it. We desire so much more squirrels. <laughs> you know, and I started doing that. I was doing it for about a year, and he comes up to me after at the BC at the uh, Berkeley Community Theater. I remember that he comes up to me. He goes, "Greg, there ain't no squirrels in that song, man." <laughs> <laughs> So what was it? So anyway, I finally, yeah, I got the real version was, uh, we desire so much more than this girl. Oh. I, and I said, Bruce, how did you get from this girl to squirrel? <laughs> the Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Okay. I know, story. I know you've told this story a million times. What's the background? What's the backstory of the breakup song? Yeah, you know, I we actually it was two songs. I had a verse from one song and a chorus from another song, and we we used to have a uh, a garage that we rehearsed in back in Berkeley back in the day, and uh, we'd start messing around there. And I uh, I had played the the uh, the chorus from you know what was going to become the breakup song and my my uh bass player steve wright he said yeah you know that would work with this other idea that we got from another so it's a different song so we put them together we got the two halves together and i said wow this is great and then i didn't have enough lyrics i you know we're in a we're in a garage and i'm trying to come up with lyrics so uh, I started plugging in, you know, if I didn't have lyrics, I just put, and I sang, uh, 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 <laughs> you know? Jesus. And brilliant. it turns out that those were the magic words. Yeah, you know? And now, I, you know, I look back now, I don't know what I was thinking that day, but we've been around the world with that song <laughs> and it translates into every it language, does. every known language. <laughs> You know, you go to Japan and the people go, oh, you're the uh-uh guy. I love that. I love that song, man. And it, it's amazing. So we started doing that and I never stopped. I mean, I never thought that there was more lyrics to write. I just said, you know, this this works. Let's just stop right here. Well, you know, I've been and that's what happened. I've been telling people I was going to talk to Greg, Greg Kinn today, and they say, Greg Kinn, yeah, the breakup song? And I go, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That's incredible. See, now, that's the problem, Bruce. The <laughs> problem that I had was I was on the, uh, I was on the radio for 18 years. Uh -huh. So for 18 years, I didn't go on the road i didn't you know i would just play the occasional local gig and that was it we were going to do uh the breakup song and it, you know it's i ironically that was the song that everybody loved and i i had no idea that 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 was that song had the, those kinds of legs yeah. you know they call it legs oh, when yeah. the thing and it just got, you know, I played all over the country. In fact, all over the world in places like France and Germany. And uh, and they and they loved it. <laughs> so it was like the uh-uh song became like my theme song. <laughs>
<laughs> just think of all those lyrics you struggle over, and then there's that one. You know, that's that's amazing. That's right. That's exactly right. And you know, you got to learn a, a you got to learn a lesson from that. Man. Is there a new one off your new album you want to talk about? Yeah, I love the new album. We had a lot of fun making it. I have a new band, obviously, with Dave Lauser and Robert Berry and my son Rye on guitar. Yeah. And we had uh, gone into Soundtech Studios, Soundtech Studios down in Campbell, which is Robert's studio. And, you know, since I last made an album, which was that, what, 20 years ago or something, it's been a revolution in the sound recording. Everything's changed now. Now, there's, there's the concept of tape is alien. Mm. You know what I mean? Everything's done on the computer. It's all done on a hard drive and it's all digital. So, you know, I didn't really know what to make of that, but it was real easy when we came, we, we come, we get a song ready, like Pink Flamingos is a good example. Yeah. Just whipped it out. Uh, we, and then we walked into the recording studio and did it in one take. It was like, wow. This is a, this is a lot easier than I remember. I once knew a girl, but she was fine and dandy. All she wore was pink. She was just like candy She had a strange fascination When she would open her windows Everywhere you looked A big pink flamingo Show. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. Ready to get ready now. 
and we had a lot of fun making the new album. One or two takes for just about every song. Uh, having a really good band is essential. And of course, Robert, I mean, this guy, yeah, he, he, we'd be sitting in the, in the control room and he goes, you know, I hear a piano. And he would, and he'd go over to the piano. We'd play a part. He'd go, hey, you know, I, I hear a bass part. And he would go over and he'd play a little bass part. Then we'd you know, listen to it and we'd go, yeah, I hear a little, uh, I hear a little uh, glockenspiel. And he would just, he would just throw stuff on there. And at the end of the day, it was like, wow, what happened here? This is great. That's amazing. Yeah, when he starts getting yeah. into bassoon and French horn, that's going to be scary. But yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah, hey, they should, they're all digitized now. Yeah, yeah. You just push a you push a button for French horn. <laughs> it's there. It's amazing. So, and you know, I think uh, the fact that we're digital now and we're everything is, uh, you know, I I grew up a, a, an analog guy yeah. in an analog world. And now it's completely different. And uh, I'm glad that I was here to be part of the revolution. It was a lot of fun. It was a great time to be alive. And uh, you're going to, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to be 70 here shortly, aren't you? Oh, my God. I can't believe that. Wow. I can't believe that. Hey, you want to know, I I have my son in the band, right? And I got a great, solid guys in the band. Well, I got two grandsons coming they're 10 and 6 respectively right now but in maybe 8 9 10 years from now they're going to all be in the band as well they all want to be in grandpa's band by the way sure. they love it they they watch us you know they come and watch us play in the park and stuff and so i'm you know i told rye i said rye you might as well start teaching these guys now uh, we're going to have three generations of kins in the band. That's cool. Yeah, isn't it? I can't wait. Yeah, it's like the uh, flying Walendas. Yeah, Walenda, that's right. Tightrope guys. Yeah, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing, man. We've had, you know, I've had a, my career has been blessed. Going back as the earliest, I mean, geez, I started was back in when dinosaurs roamed the earth when we first started. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a wonderful time to be part of the history of rock and roll. What a great time, and, yeah. Nothing. Yeah, I looked, I, 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 you know, I lose friends over the years, you know, like Tom Petty and people like that. And I, you know, I can't believe that I'm still here and I'm still cranking out these songs. It's, it's amazing. Well, I look back at the old videos and it looks like you were about 12 when you did the breakup song. Oh, videos. yeah. So you got some oh, years hey, man, in the bank. Those videos were a lot of fun to make. And <laughs> there was a guy named Joe, Joe Day was the producer. And I remember he had a, we had a band meeting and he goes, well, what do you guys want to do for your video? Because this was the beginning of videos. MTV. MTV stuff. was just getting started. It was their first year. And uh, I said, I don't know. He says, what are you into? And I go, oh, I'm kind of into creature features because that's it let's do like a whole night of the living dead thing <laughs> so we did this whole night of the living dead thing and it turned out to be a, a ton of fun we did that in one mammoth 48 hour uh day that we just you know, just went in and we we rented a church <laughs> it was mission dolores church a very famous church in san francisco it was the same church from the Dirty Harry movies. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. 
It was right on the park of Mission Dolores. And they remember they were shooting guys off the roof and they had a high powered rifle. Anyway, <laughs> that was the that was the church. And they let us have it for like two or three days. So we were in there, tw- you know, 24 seven working on the video. We only had a specific amount of hours to do it in. And I know that I'm going to go for, I'm, you know, I can tell you I'm going to hell for the stuff I did in that church <laughs> after hours. I know it. I'll see you there. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's face it. We'll all be there. We can discuss it fully. Okay. Maybe we'll do another radio interview for that. I thank you for your time, <laughs> Greg. It's been great. Hey, Bruce. That was a fun. That was a fun uh, interview. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I love your stories and. Uh, I wish you the best with your new uh, record, and and wherever you are, I'm gonna I'm gonna track you down and, and come see you. Absolutely, thanks a ton. I really appreciate it, Bruce. All right, well, you take care. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Well, we're just trying to make the next day a bit better.